0: All right, we'll go ahead and we'll get started. We're actually, remember last time we left Paul uh, in the city of Athens, and uh, he got brought up to the Areopagus, which is kind of the place where religious matters were decided, where the, uh, some of the government leaders, and back in that day what you mean is elders, would sit and talk about things and sort things out. And so we left off with Paul up there. We're going to start at the top of session 30. I took the bottom of session 29 and put it on the top of 30. Um, So we're going to start there. And we're going to start then with Paul preaching a sermon on the Areopagus. And so remember, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we know that all the preachers that are in the Bible are Lutheran and they're preaching Lutheran sermons, which means what's the content have in it? Based on the word, there's law, there's gospel, and all the sermon is about what? Jesus, okay? All right, so we're going to look for those things in this sermon Uh, We're going to start in Acts 17, verse 22. And I'll read the sermon here, and then uh, we'll go from there. So we're going to read all the way up through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breadth and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him, this man, from the dead. All right. And then he'd say, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, right? <laughs> okay. There's the sermon. Is the sermon Lutheran? Does it have law? What sort of law does it have in there? You're not, supposed to worship false gods. You're not supposed to worship false gods. And there's even lots of detail about that, right? Can you just make a god out of gold or silver? Can you just carve one out of stone? No. Okay. Can you please God by your own hands, by doing things for him. Paul says, no, right? No. Yeah. And and the reason is this. So, if he's really God, does he need anything from you? No. No. No.
1: But he might make him smile. <laughs> That's...
0: I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that, right? Is God happy when we act like Christians? He is. Yeah, definitely, right? He prefers us acting like Christians to, um, you know, murderous uh, villains, right? So, sure. Is is that going to save us? So that we have to make that distinction? No. 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 Okay. So, we have lots of law. Um, even, I would submit to you that some of the law in this sermon is, do they know who God is? No. No. And that's bad news if you don't know who God is, right? Okay. So, we have a lot of law. How about gospel? Is there gospel in this sermon? Okay, what's the gospel? It's about Jesus Christ, and what's he say about him? Yeah. He rose from the dead, and on the last day, we're going to all be judged by him. Now... Being judged by Jesus, let's just be completely frank about it, is that gospel? It's gospel if we are in faith. (laughs) You're right, Marilyn, it's both. If you're not in faith, it's law. It's both. That's the beauty of it, right? Okay, uh... is it based on scripture now i always cheat and give you a little bit of the scripture right so in this particular sermon paul summarizes a lot of the book of genesis right because he said there was one man and through that man all the nations of the world came about and they were given different places to live this is uh... the creation of adam the tower of babel Uh, And then also we would call it the Table of Nations, Genesis 1 through 10. He kind of summarizes in this sermon. Okay? He quotes also St. Stephen. Right? Remember St. Stephen? What happened to Stephen? Yeah. First Christian martyr, stoned to death. And he quotes St. Stephen who quoted Isaiah 66. Okay? Okay? Um, he quotes several places in Job at least two different places which I think is interesting that he's quoting Job okay um, Job is a unique place to go to to quote but what's interesting about the book of Job has anybody read it? Parts of it? Parts of it? It's, it's kind of a tough read I'm I'm um, I listen to the Bible on podcast version, okay? And then you end up listening while you're driving, which is handy when you're always running around. Um, So I listen to the entire Old Testament. It goes through it once every year, and the New Testament and the Psalms twice every year. And guess what section we're in right now? Job. (laughs) Um, Job is a book of wisdom, It's philosophical, trying to understand the problem of suffering in this world. Who's Paul talking to? Yeah, Yeah. Roman philosophers, Greeks, people who are into that sort of thing. So it makes sense. Paul knows his audience, and he's going to a philosophical book of scripture to preach about Jesus. And what's more, and maybe you didn't notice this, but uh, it's in verse 28, it says, as even some of your own poets have said, and then he quotes pagan poets in his sermon. And you say, now wait a second, how can a Christian quote, a non-biblical source in his sermon. Have you ever heard of something like that? Yes, Yes, you all have, because who's the other guy who works here? You know, tall, not as tall as Vicar, used to play football, can bend his pinky funny. Pastor Poppy, right? (laughs) Okay. How often does Pastor Poppy quote a song from the 1950s or 60s? Always for what purpose? To to preach Christ, to point us to Christ. How often in Bible study on Sunday mornings does Pastor Poppy all of a sudden get a big grin on his face and start saying, have you ever seen the movie? I don't know, right? I haven't seen half of them. What's that? Princess Bride. Princess, yeah, okay, that's right. Princess Bride. Um... How often does he quote the Princess Bride to talk about Jesus? When it fits what he needs. needs. And that's essentially what Paul is doing here too. He knows his audience. Pastor Poppy knows his audience. Um, He knows that many of you have seen the Princess Bride. And so he quotes it. He knows that many of you have listened to... um, I don't know why in the top of my head. Um, what was the one we were doing the other day, Vicar? Vicker's like, I don't know this song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But... Uh, there you go. American Pickers he had in there. Yeah. So, he's using cultural references that the people hearing would understand to drive home his point about Jesus. Okay?
1: It doesn't necessarily follow that the creators, the writers, songwriters, scriptwriters, or anything were thinking the same thing when they, that, that Pastor Poppy sees in the culture.
0: Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, Pastor Poppy quoting the Princess Bride or American Pickers or the one that's in my head that always comes up at Halloween time, the Monster Mash, right? It doesn't mean that those are Christian sources or that they are inspired, but we might still be able to use those to help illustrate a point. And that's what Paul is doing here too. It doesn't mean that this pagan poet is a Christian or inspired or anything like that. All that it means is Paul, as a good preacher, knows his audience, okay? And I think um, the poet that he's quoting is Epimenides, uh, and so there you go. I don't know a whole lot about Epimenides. I can't even say his name. Him. Epimenides, there we go.
1: For we are we are indeed his offspring that's the poet? Yes. And then the verse ahead of that is from um, Stephen.
0: Uh the one ahead of that is um is not. I gotta look here and see my my note here. Um twenty eight. Is it Epimenides? Okay. The second second one. Okay. There we go. Vicar knows. We got two guys recording here then. Okay. All right. Is the sermon about Jesus still? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Any questions on Paul's sermon at the Areopagus? (laughs) So now we know too. Is it okay for a pastor or a preacher to use an illustration? Yes. But the illustration should do what? Correlate to the Bible. Correlate to the Bible. point Point to Jesus. Right. So. I couldn't get up and just give you, I could, I shouldn't just get up and give you an illustration that's 10 minutes long in my sermon about how when I grew up, um, you know, we had an old TV and you had to tune the bunny ears and then tune each channel individually and uh, do all that stuff and then say, and now I want to tell you about Jesus, who's like completely different than that. (laughs) We'd want the illustration to support the point. Not to just be some random thing. Okay. We're going to keep on going then. So we've heard a sermon. And we know that when sermons are preached, what happens? People hear. And in hearing, the Holy Spirit Works so let's read. Then we're going to read Acts seventeen thirty-two through thirty-four, and this is, we'll read around the room. Then with this, we want to start up here.
1: Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, "We will hear you again about this." So Paul went out from their midst, appealing to followers.
0: Dionysius. Dionysius. Yep, Areopagite. <laughs> <laughs> Fun <laughs> words here. <laughs> All right, yeah. Don't you hate it when you get the names? <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> before I got to Job, um, there's Ezra and Nehemiah and stuff before that too, but it was Chronicles. Have you ever read Chronicles? It's like name after name after name after name. It's very good. It's very theological. But some of it, I I can't imagine reading it out loud. It's a challenge. Okay. So, response to the sermon. First, what's the first response that Luke mentions? Some people mock them. And on what point? The resurrection. The resurrection. Because they don't believe it's possible, okay? Greeks don't believe the resurrection is possible. At the best, they could say you have a soul that's eternal uh, that goes somewhere else, but they'd say, when your body's dead, your body is dead. And this is, too, why they dealt with bodies the way that they did oftentimes, Okay? So, if you read the Iliad or the Odyssey, when someone dies, what do they do? They burn the yeah, they burn the bodies. Okay, uh, they burn the bodies. They build a pyre and they put the body up there and they set it on fire because now they don't need it anymore because the person's dead. They don't believe it's possible to be raised from the dead. But others, what do they say? Yeah. Tell me more about this. We want to hear more about this. Okay. Now, verse 34 says, Some of the men joined Paul and believed him. Some of them believed the preaching about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead and the last judgment. And it's beautiful here because it gives names. Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Demeares and others with them. Now, why is it great that it gives names? <laughs> yeah, it's. I think we've talked about this lots of times. When we have a name, the idea is, if you're alive not long after Luke wrote this, you can go and ask. You can say, you can go to Athens and find Dionysius and say, "Hey, did this really happen?" And what would he say? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> unless it's a really common name. Unless it's a really common name, Dionysius probably is. <laughs> but we have some uh, qualifying information there too. Dionysius the Areopagite. Okay, one of those guys who sits up there talking. His name Dionysius. And if you go up to the Areopagus and say, looking for Dionysius, the Areopagite, first off, they'd say, wow, you're really good at tongue twisters. (laughs) And then they'd say, he's sitting over there in that rock. Okay? All right. So, through preaching, some believe. Through preaching, people come to faith. All right. Any questions about that? This should be no surprise. How many times have we seen that in the book of Acts? Every time we see a sermon? Every time yeah, every time we see a sermon. Okay. I Yeah. Did
1: they build statues to Dionysius?
0: Dionysius. I'm trying to remember, he's a is he a philosopher? Is that correct?
1: actually a Roman god. Roman god? god?
0: Okay. So they might have had one. But it wasn't the same god. But it wasn't the same god. Uh, this guy is named after Dionysius. Is. See, it's good we got you, so you know those things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, Alright, if my kids were here, they would know too. They just learned that in school last year. Alright. <clears throat> We're going to move then to chapter 18. So let's start, let's read Acts 18, verses 1 through 4. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about Corinth first. In the upper right-hand corner, you see a map of the Isthmus of Corinth. And this is a more modern map, um, but it showed what I was looking for. Isthmus means the little tiny piece of land that connects these two other bigger pieces of land. So on the right side of the map, you see the Isthmus of Corinth. And on the left, you see there's the Peloponnese which is a uh, peninsula that sticks out into the Mediterranean Sea. If I can say all the words today, we're going to be in good shape. It's a peninsula that sticks into the Mediterranean Sea. And then off to the right of the Isthmus of Corinth, that's where the mainland is. Okay, And Athens would be just to the right of where the Isthmus of Corinth ends. And uh, so that kind of gives you an idea. Because Corinth is located here on this isthmus, and you can see there, um, there's two Corinths marked on here. The modern Corinth is the one on top, and the ancient Corinth is the one that's below. Because Corinth is situated here, they control, uh, at least in the ancient world, that little piece of land, which became very important. Because if you wanted to get to a city that's out on the Peloponnese, you have to go through that little piece of land. If you're on the Peloponnese and you want to get to a city that's not there, you have to go through there. And what's more, it has the opportunity to have two ports. One port in the um, Gulf of Corinth and one port in the Saronic Gulf. And in fact, a lot of shipping and trade went through there. And what they would do, say you're coming from the east and you're going to the west, you would come into the Saronic Gulf and one of two things would happen. There are some reports that they would take your entire boat out of the water and roll it on logs over the isthmus and put it back into the water on the other side. There are also some reports that sometimes they didn't want to do that. And they would unload your boat on the one side and then reload the stuff into another boat on the other side. And what that did then is now you don't have to go around the Peloponnesian Peninsula where there's craggy rocks and things like that that could be dangerous for your ship and you're out in more of the open uh, side of things, it cuts off a lot of miles of sailing, and so it made your shipping cheaper. Okay? In fact, um, probably about 20, 15 or 20 years after Paul is in Corinth, the emperor Nero says, I think we should dig a canal so that we don't even have to unload the boats or roll them. We can just sail straight through. Now, Nero got assassinated, and they never accomplished it, but guess what they have today? There's a canal there that goes through uh, through that entire isthmus. Okay, And that's marked on your map as well. Uh, you can see the two parallel lines that are going through that. That's where that canal is. Now, if you have two ports... And people are able to save money by going through the Isthmus. What does that mean you have a lot of at your city? Trade. Trade. And traders. And sailors. And not only do you have all those people there, you also have uh, a temple of Aphrodite in the city of Corinth. So in the ancient world, if you're a trader, what does that mean you're doing? You're getting goods from one place and you're carrying them to another place. If you're a sailor, what are you doing? Getting, Doing the same thing. When you get to the city where the port is, what, what do you do then? Par- yeah, that's a good way to say it. Party. Right. The, have you seen. See, look, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull a Pastor Poppy. Have you seen the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean? When they go to the pirate city uh, in Barbados or wherever, what's all over the place? Parties and women and drinking and fighting And guess what was in Corinth with all the sailors and the traders going through? Same thing. thing. So much so that Horace famously said about Corinth not everybody is able to go to Corinth, which is the ancient version of what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Okay? All right. In fact, um, thousands of prostitutes. Just think about how many sailors are coming in and out of your town that you need to have thousands of prostitutes. I should say that carefully. You don't need to have any. (laughs) But they did. Yes. And, um, but
1: it points in the right direction.
0: we know which way to go. Okay. If you don't know what Marilyn's talking about, you can ask her after Bible study because this goes out on the radio. <laughs> um, but yes, that's the society. It's a lot different than ours. And this is the city of Corinth. It's very strategic in its position, a lot of money comes in and out of there, and a lot of people come in and out of there. It's been a Roman colony for that reason since 146 B.C., okay? 146 B.C. is when it was conquered because of its strategic importance and its wealth, okay? Um, That's the city of Corinth. Now, why is all that stuff kind of important for us? What do we also have in our Bible? Letters to the Corinthians. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And we know from what Paul says in those two that there was even a couple more letters that he wrote that we don't have. Okay? And what's one of the big issues that they're dealing with in Corinth? What's that? False
1: teachers.
0: False teachers, yep. Sexual Sexual sin. Okay? A man has, I'm going to say it wrong, I think a man has his father's wife, is the way Paul says it, okay? Is that appropriate? No, No. okay, that's not. So they're dealing with all these things because of their background, the things they have come out of. And uh, there's lots of other issues in Corinth, Um, lots of issues that we still deal with. Okay, questions about Corinth? All right, so Paul comes in. You can see he's coming from the right on your map from where Athens is, and he's coming into the city of Corinth. And while he's there, verse 2 says, what does he find? Yeah, a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. All right. What do we know about them? Tent makers. They're tent makers, just like Paul knows how to make tents. Okay, There's some speculation that that's how Paul got his Roman citizenship, that it was the family trade, that his dad made tents to provide them to the Roman army uh, at some point in the past. Do we know that for sure? No. But that's, there's some speculation. Paul knows how to make tents, and Aquila knows how to make tents, And they're both Christians, and so they hit it off right away. Why are Aquila, which is the the word for eagle, and Priscilla there in Corinth? Because they're Jews. Because they're Jews. And and the emperor told all the Jews to leave. Yeah. Emperor Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome. Okay? Um... There's at least three times in history where the Jews get kicked out of Rome in the Roman Empire. One way back in 139 B.C., the Romans didn't like the fact that the Jews at that time were trying to convert people to Judaism, so they just kicked them out, which I think there's a certain amount of irony because what's Paul going to (laughs) do? Right. Okay, that's his goal. Again, the same thing happened in 19 AD under the Emperor Tiberius. And then this time, the one that we're talking about is probably in the late 40s. The estimate is 49, maybe 50, maybe 51. Although I think 51 is probably uh, too late. I think it's the late 40s. And there's some tradition that says it's the same problem in all of these, that the Jews are working on converting people. And there's some speculation that this one in the 40s is, when they say Jews converting people, what do they mean? Christians, Christians preaching the gospel in Rome.
1: Because Jews would say,
0: Um, we know they were trying in Rome. We know that there are people in the Bible that are converted. So take, for example, um, a famous one in the time of King David. He has his mighty man who is Uriah the Hittite. So they are converts. What's necessary to be a convert circumcision and then obeying the law. And what I'd, I wouldn't know without a little bit more research is if you are treated the same or if you're like a second-class convert, at least for a while. Second, I don't know that. But they are open to the idea. Even, it goes all the way back, take Rahab, right? The Jerichonian Jericonian Jerichoite. Uh, she becomes a part of the people of Israel. Um, Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. (laughs) Okay. When we're talking in the 40s one, there's speculation that it is Christians working on converting people to Christianity. And it would make sense that that's the case too because when Christians are doing that, where are they going first? to the synagogues, and then they're going to the other folks. And what's the response? Every city we've been in so far, when they preach the gospel, it ends up with a... Chase them
1: out. What's it? A riot that
0: chased them out. Yeah, a riot that causes them to be chased out. (laughs) And if Aquila and Priscilla are there talking about Jesus... And the Jews hear it, and there's a riot. What is the emperor going to do? Kick him out. And so that's what happens. Okay? Um, We know the time period, and we're going to get there a little bit further on, because this guy Gallio, that's going to deal with it, we know a lot about him as well. And so we'll talk about that as well. To fit in his life, it makes the most sense for it to be in the late 40s. So, late 40s, how long after Jesus are we? We're 15 years. If we say Jesus died in 33, then we're um, a little bit more than 15 years after that. Can you remember what happened 15 years ago? By the way? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I can. I, I'm, this is our 20th Year out of high school. We just got the reunion stuff in the mail and uh, I can remember high school. Can you remember high school? At least a little bit? What's that? Only because work you worked there? <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm guessing for some of you, high school is a little more than 20 years ago and you can remember it. So, okay. I'm just assuming. I'm, if I'm wrong, you tell me. So, their remembrances of Jesus here still uh, would be important okay so they're in Corinth what does Paul do when he gets to Corinth the last part of this that we read yeah he tries to persuade Jews and Greeks and every week what's he do Preaches in the synagogue. So he's preaching the word to the Jews. He's preaching the word to the Greeks. All right. Questions so far? We're going to find out what happens here. <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, read verses 5 through 8 then. Yeah, I mean, Where did we left off? I mean, Loralee? Did you read already? I read. Okay. Yeah, Leonard?
1: Five. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia... All was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus.
0: Titus. Titus, yep.
1: Justin. A worship of God, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. At Christmas, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were
0: baptized. Alright, we're gonna stop there. So uh, I almost called him Tylus and Timothy. <laughs> Silas and Timothy, they come. And they catch up finally. Remember where they were? They had been in Macedonia, specifically in Berea, preaching the word there. When Paul got in trouble, they stayed behind and kept on being pastors while Paul moved on. And they show up and they find Paul occupied with the word. What does that mean, occupied with the word? Preaching. Teaching, studying, making sure that he can tell everybody who listens the word. And this also again, I know we've drove this home point, this point home, what does Paul believe the important thing is in his missionary work? Jesus that Jesus is God and he, and he died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And that you learn all of this in the word. In the word. The word, the word, the word. Okay? So Paul is occupied with the word. The word that is uh, translated occupied is this sun echo. Okay? Um, it has this idea of maintaining or continuing in. And it's in the imperfect passive. The imperfect Sometimes is used in what's known as an iterative sense. Okay? So my kids aren't here, so I'll explain the iterative uh, sense to you using my kids. When we are on a long car ride and they're sitting next to each other in the back seat, what do they do? Yeah, like poke each other. And you say, stop it. And what do they do? They keep on poking each other, and poking each other, and poking each other, and it keeps on happening. That's iterative. That's what this imperfect is meaning. Or like a jackhammer, right? It doesn't just hit things once. It This is a bad example, right? This will be on the, the audio here too. <laughs> it keeps on going up and down and hitting over and over and over again. That's what it's saying about Paul... He's staying, maintaining, continuing in the Word. Okay? And through the Word, he's testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. This is really a neat way to say it. Sometimes we think Jesus Christ is the name, right? And his first name is Jesus and his last name is Christ. That's not true. Christ is the title. It's the title. So he's saying, you guys know from the Bible that there's supposed to be a Christ that comes. Isaiah teaches it. Um, Ezekiel teaches it. Over and over again, David teaches it. That Christ that's been promised in the Old Testament has now come and his name was Jesus. That's what he's preaching, okay? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What's Christ? Christ is a Greek word, comes from Christos. In the Hebrew, the word that becomes Christ is Mashiach, which we call Messiah. Messiah. And it is a fancy word in both cases that means the anointed one. And so what it is saying when we say the Christ, we mean this is the one who God anointed to rescue us from our sins, going all the way back to when God promised that in Genesis chapter 3, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. That promise gets passed on. There's going to be an anointed one who fulfills it. And finally, it's Jesus. Messiah and Christ are synonyms, just different languages. Is that? Okay. So, that's what Paul's doing. What's the response from the Jewish people of Corinth? Many of them. Yeah, they are um, not happy. They oppose the message, which means they speak against it, and they revile Paul. And reviling, I think a couple months ago we talked about ad hominem attacks, right? If the vicar says something, and rather than talking to him about what he said and why that's wrong based on his argument... If he says something and I say, well, what do you know? You're just a big stinky head. That's an ad hominem attack. And that's what it means by reviling. They said, Paul, you're an idiot. Paul, you're a fool. Paul, my dog is smarter than you. I don't know if that's one specifically they use. But that's the kind of thing it means with revile. They don't agree him, so they attack The man. And what's Paul's response? Yeah. He shakes the dust off of his robes, and he says, your blood be on your own head. Now, shaking the dust off your robes goes back to Luke chapter 9, verse 5, where Jesus said, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. That's, in a sense, what Paul is doing, shaking the dust off. And and really, sometimes we should do that more often in our world today. (laughs) There you go. That's probably enough on that topic. But there's places where it should happen. He also says, Your blood be on your own heads. Whose head should their blood be on Jesus, right? And the same is true for you, right? And there's a certain irony even in the um, crucifixion account. You remember when Jesus is being tried, and uh, I can't remember if it's right, when Pilate washes his hands and he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood, the Jewish people say, his blood be on our heads and on our children and they mean that as a curse against Christ but for us as Christians that's really good news right how do we know that we're saved Christ died for our sins and in the waters of baptism He put that forgiveness on us. The the bloody death of Jesus marks us. That blood is ours. When Paul says, your blood be on your own heads, he's saying, apart from faith in Christ, when the time comes that you die because of your sin, who's responsible for your sin? You yourself are. Okay. All right. Now, there's a little bit of a difference from what Jesus says in Luke 9, cuz Jesus says, "Shake the dust off your feet when you're leaving town." <laughs> Paul is stubborn. He must be a Lutheran, right? <laughs> cuz he shakes the dust off, and then what's he do? He
1: takes
0: the wrinkles out. He takes the wrinkles out, Yeah. I suppose he moves into a house oh, a in town, where? The right next door to the synagogue. <laughs>
1: okay?
0: As a... Um, in Christian love, it's probably a little bit of this. Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> Okay, Maybe not. Okay? <laughs> he moves right in next door. And um, he lives in the house... Of this guy, uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house is next door, oh, and by the way, not only did Titius convert, but also so did this guy, Crispus. Now both of these names you can see in there, they're Latin Latinized names, which which indicates that perhaps they began as not Jewish. Crispus is also the ruler of the synagogue, and he has converted to Christianity. So Paul has made some inroads through preaching the word. With Crispus, if you turn the page over, not only did Crispus believe, but also the whole household did. The whole household. Who would that include? Children, slaves, spouse, workers, okay, possibly parents, yeah, okay, all of these people all converted. And you get this idea in this that Crispus, the, uh, the Latinized term would be pater familia. He's the head of household there, and he's heard the word, he believes it's true, and by George, his whole family is going to be Christian also. This is important because if there was any babies there, what probably happened to them? Exactly. They were baptized. Okay? The whole family was believed, believing and were baptized. Okay? Um, so again, infant baptism all the way in the beginning. But at the same time, Crispus himself would be baptized. Okay? All right. And
1: justice was also converted.
0: Yes. Yes. And again, that's why we have their names. You could talk to these guys. Um, all right. I want to read the second half of verse 8 one more time. And I want you to listen to it and tell me what it says. It says, Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. How did? Did they come to faith? Hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word. word. It's the word that converts. How many times have we seen this in the book of Acts? (laughs) 120. Okay, and it says it very clearly. And the reason I'm driving this point home is how do we act today? So many churches act like there's something we have to do besides the word to convert people. If we have more comfortable pews, then people will believe. If we serve gourmet coffee, then people will believe. If we do our service at um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon instead of in the morning when people want to sleep in on the weekend, then people will Believe. If we do the service in a more modern way, then people will believe. Now I'm going to make a bold concession here with all those things. Could we do those things? Could we have gourmet coffee? Sure. sure. We just have to talk to the treasurer to pay for it. <laughs> <Just see. laughs> okay. uh, could we have... Super comfortable pews. Maybe we could get everybody a lazy boy recliner. Yeah. Could we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Would those things in themselves convert anyone? No, but we would bring more people in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well I, I think that's what they're doing. They're doing all that because they think they're gonna get more people in and then they're gonna try to convert 'em. Yeah. I didn't think they'd get into believed by
0: that. Well, so, that's, that's where we have to make the distinction because when you, when you talk to these pastors, and I'm, I mean this very charitably, so please hear what I'm saying, they're doing all these things because they believe that that's the first step. To get someone to believe you have to do these things first, and sure, many of them, at least, let's be generous, Lutherans, will follow up with the Word, but that's always second. I want to turn it around. The Word is the thing that makes people believe, and we could do all those things in addition, knowing that the Holy Spirit in the Word is going to do the converted. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's the it's order. But see, yeah, I don't talk to pastors, so I don't know like so okay. Yeah. But if I was gonna to go to another church and I thought I could reel people in, I would give them better coffee, I would give them better seats, I wouldn't give them that plane though for the pastor. Chucks, um, <laughs> we'll keep working on that. <laughs> no, Just joke. Totally. It's um oversimplified, sometimes we call it the bait and switch. Right? Um If you come into our used car lot, we'll give you a $100 gift certificate to Runza. Uh, Let's let's go back to what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas, right? If you come and listen to my presentation on timeshares, you can have a free buffet. Right? Okay, I'm not criticizing timeshares or anything like that. It's the bait and switch. We're going to get you in and then we're going to do what we want to do. And that's not how we see it happen anywhere in the book of Acts. It's always the word first. So we could have gourmet coffee. We could tear out all the pews and put in reclining chairs. We could uh, get gold toilet seats in the bathroom that are heated and warmed. And we could, I'm just trying to watch Ken's face as we say these things. (laughs) (laughs) Gold toilet seats. There there you go. (laughs) We, We could do that. We have the freedom to do that. But we still need to confess the truth that the word is the thing, the only thing, that does the converting.
1: Yeah. Okay. Sometimes these things must, I think they work out, and sometimes they don't. So in North Platte, I didn't know this had gone on. A member of the Methodist Church told me about it. There were like four churches in North Platte, and they took turns every Wednesday having a meal. Well, I okay, guess so the whole community Don't get a free meal hoping that they would stay in for Wednesday evening service. And this guy was telling me about coming in, it turned into just a a free giveaway for all kinds of people to come. And they just every Wednesday night they knew they could get a free meal, they
0: ate and left. Okay. Where's that at? We should go. And can we do that? Sure. But what do we need to keep in its proper place? It's the word that does the converting. The word, the word, the word. Yeah. So um, the elders meet every month. And as part of our meetings, we always have a book study or a, something where we do learning. And Pastor Poppy has been going through a book. He just finished last month. A couple months ago, I said, we're going to do this one next, if, if you're okay with it. And it's on outreach. Lutheran outreach. What's it look like? And I, I told Pastor Poppy that, and he says, uh, I, this, I don't know. I don't know. Well, he started reading it the other day, and guess what he said? Yeah, he said, we're going to do this in Sunday morning Bible study. (laughs) So, that specific topic, I'm guessing, I don't know when it will be, within the next few months when we finish Daniel, or if it will be a little longer than that. I'm I'm assuming we're going to try and get through a lot of it with the elders. That's going to be a Sunday morning Bible study where we talk about that very thing. And I, I think a good place to look for that would be John chapter 1, which we quoted last night in the church service when um, Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, I've found the Christ. And Nathaniel says, I don't know about this, Philip. And Philip says, come and see. As Christians, that's all that evangelism needs to be. Come and see. Come and hear. Come to where God gives his word. And it's just really that simple. And the, when we do that Bible study, that I hope we'll drive home that point. Yeah, and that invitation that took place through that is a way that can happen. I mean, that's we could do meals and invite people at, from the meal to come and hear the word. We can talk to our family and our friends and invite them to come and hear the word. But merely doing the work of a tornado rescue or a meal by itself, apart from the word, doesn't actually accomplish conversion. And that's, uh, I guess we're out of time. To bring it to a close, that's what verse 8b says. Many, upon hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. The word and baptism, that brought them into the faith. Okay. We'll pick up then. Um, we're kind of in the middle of this paragraph, but we'll pick up there next week with Acts eighteen nine through eleven. All right. Um, let's pray together the Lord's prayer then, and then we'll uh, we'll call it good. Let's pray.
1: All right.